Hello and welcome back to the Excellence Experiment, a podcast produced by the Inclusive Excellence Commission of AACU in partnership with HHMI. We're excited to continue to speak with project leaders of the Inclusive Excellence Projects at institutions across the country. Today, we have the privilege of engaging with our colleagues from Mercy College in New York. We're really excited to hear from them and learn more about the work that they're doing there. So ladies, welcome to the show. Let's introduce yourselves. Can we start with Renee? Hi, uh, I am Renee Haskew-Layton. My role at Mercy is the program director for the biology major and I'm an assistant professor and on the HHMI Inclusive Excellence Grant, um, I recently took over the role of program director. Awesome, welcome. Thank you. Sarah? Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Sarah Martucci and I'm an assistant professor in sociology and behavioral science at Mercy College. Um, and I'm currently working on two HHMI grants. Um, I'm a co-PI in one and I've just been brought on, on another one to run focus groups with students. Awesome. Welcome. And last but not least, Lisa. Hi, Lisa Armigan here at Mercy. I am an assistant professor of biology. I am the coordinator of the general biology gateway course, and I am also the coordinator of the adjunct academy of the HHMI IE um, grant. Great to meet you all, and we're excited to, to chat with you today. I would love to learn more. Give us just a broad overview for someone who is not familiar with inclusive excellence work particularly at Mercy College, what does it look like there at Mercy? Sure, I could, um, I could uh, start off and um, have my colleagues uh, join in. So there's sort of two arms or branches to the work that we're doing. One aspect really deals with um, determining the barriers that students face, psychosocial barriers and institutional barriers that perhaps Mercy presents. That sort of have been contributing to the high attrition that we see in the in the biology major. And so this part of our work really has um, a data-driven approach um, where we're taking a deep dive into the data and at the same time also working on building institutional capacity to develop a framework for effective access to data, support with analyzing and interpreting the data and um, a structure for, you know, taking action steps when, when we see perhaps we have an equity gap or other problems that the data is is pointing to. So a lot of it's ongoing. The other branch is, as, as Lisa mentioned, the um, Adjunct Academy. We're referring that um, currently to the, the Fellows Academy. Lisa, I don't know if you want to comment on that. Uh, yes. So our, our, our goal is to um, implement uh, not only to adjuncts but our, our full-time and core faculty um, the idea that we'll training of our faculty in high impact practices such mm -hmm. as course-based undergraduate research experience project-based learning culturally relevant and competent pedagogies is that going to increase a sense of belonging in uh, students who are maybe first generation or coming from um, a background that may be different than the majority. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I could just add in that, um, especially for the the areas that I'm working in on the HHMI grant that um, I've, I've co-PI'd with Dr. Elizabeth Pete, we're focusing in on training faculty around inclusive classrooms um, mm -hmm. because that's such an important component, you know, as 
PhD students, we never learn how to teach. That's often not right. a component. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're really taking a look at how have the faculty been trained around inclusivity? How can we make our classrooms, you know, better communities for our students where they feel accepted and feel like they belong? Um, and so faculty training and bringing in specialists who can help us with that has been an important aspect of it. For sure. I think what is exciting to me about this Inclusive Excellence Initiative is that in the reform space, it's a, it's a different approach because the unit of analysis is the institution and not students. And so, you know, Renee mentioned that a lot of this work has been geared around learning about practice at Mercy and identifying existing barriers. How has that process been? I know for some folks, that can be an uphill journey to sort of, you know, take a reflective look at oneself. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where to start? So it has been definitely a, a reflective journey because when you start to dive into the data and understand why it is you're seeing equity gaps, then, um, you know, we have been uncovering aspects of institutional practices that we weren't aware of that you wouldn't even think of would pose potential barriers. Um, mm -hmm. And in, a lot of that has involved kind of figuring out who the different stakeholders are and what their role is. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm coming from this from a faculty perspective and as a program director in biology, but I didn't quite have this full awareness of, of all the different entities at Mercy College and, and how they how they played a role in this work. And, and that is something that you know, I, I think over the last couple of years that we've done a better job at sort of uncovering and now we're getting to a point where we can kind of help to facilitate building a, a, a structure that starts to address some of these problems. Has there been anything that's been surprising or unexpected in this journey? Has anything caught you by surprise as leaders? So, well, I will say I, I initially, um, Lisa and Sarah are a bit newer on the grant, so I have been part of the process since writing the grant proposal. Okay. Um, so I've been here the longest. So I, I think what has been surprising is, as I was mentioning before, how do the sort of the pieces of the puzzle fit together? So I think when we were looking at the data, it maybe had some assumptions about what the barriers would be. Mm. And then it, mm. and it turns out that, you know, there are probably ways that we can fix some of these equity gaps by addressing things like student advising. Um, how are students being advised, uh, for example, maybe out of a STEM major and into mm -hmm. majors that their student counselors might feel more comfortable with or ha think that the student will feel more comfortable with. So that has been something that now we have something tangible that we can address and um, help kind of bridge the faculty side maybe with, with some of the administrative side. Awesome. I think that some um, surprising, but you know, there's an awareness as uh, a student preparedness mm. as a subject for feeling included. Inclusivity, mm -hmm. how prepared you are, is going to really uh, impact how included you feel in a particular group. And so, being aware and how can we address those issues even before the semester begins, before class starts? What we, what can we do to make sure everyone starts off on as close to the same footing as possible? Are you coming in with the same materials? Do you know that you have access to your instructors? as everyone else does. 
you know, just an awareness of what are the resources available to you before before class starts. What have been any key successes, anything that has sort of like really gone well that's energized you in the work? I could start off. I think we were recently acknowledged at um, a faculty convocation by our president. Um, He acknowledged the work of the HHMI Inclusive Excellence Initiative, um, and that I think was a really great step forward. Um, I think there had been, you know, recognition by the college. There are equity gaps. They were addressing equity gaps at the institutional level. And we were trying to bridge the gap and, and now get support at looking at these gaps and addressing them more at the program and course level. Um, and so that was that was an acknowledgement after meeting with several stakeholders that certainly we can address institution-wide graduation rates, which are important, but, you know, We need to also take a deep dive. We have students who are in the STEM majors. They're showing an initial interest in the STEM major. If they stay at Mercy and transition away from STEM, sure, that's a success for Mercy College, but are we then, you know, fulfilling our obligations uh, as academic units and Mm -hmm. and, um, supporting efforts nationally to um, close equity gaps in STEM? So I think that was a a recent very important success. Awesome. I think uh, we've put together some initiatives, especially I'm, I'm the coordinator for general biology, which is a gateway course or prerequisite. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that students, uh, if we're, they're going to be retained in the STEM, that they do well. And historically, these are uh, classes where you do have um, underperforming uh, students, and that is going to limit, you know, uh, play a role in, in their decision to stay in STEM. So putting together initiatives that are going to support them before classes, before the semester begins, throughout the semester, that's going to tease out, hopefully, uh, what are the best practices to support them. And I think um, another thing that I'm seeing at our college, I mean, I'm not in one of the STEM majors. I I work in sociology and behavioral science, but I'm seeing over the past few years at Mercy more and more conversations happening around inclusivity in general, right? So we have these two grants that are great to bring on campus, but I think that because we're starting to get some um, institutional acknowledgement around it and conversations happening between faculty and administration and also between faculty and students, that I'm just hearing the word inclusivity a lot more on campus. I'm seeing more programs, you know, workshops around that. And, and so that just feels like a success more broadly at the school, that we're kind of bringing that um, language and vocabulary on campus. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's got to be energizing. Have there been any particular challenges or frustrations, um, hiccups that, that, that you've encountered along the journey? So I think, um, as maybe is natural with with many types of institutional grants, things start slower Mm -hmm. (laughs) than you would like or that you anticipate you have, you sort of have these ambitious timelines set out Mm -hmm. for us. And you could certainly uh, plug away at the work, but what I found is that you really need to get multiple perspectives. You know, you have to consider that for this plan to sort of cultivate a data-driven culture, you know, where we look for equity gaps and address them and take action. You know, there's a lot of stakeholders involved. Um, and that maybe takes more time than than 
we had anticipated to get perspectives from, you know, institutional research, information technology, who would help build dashboards from the student affairs side of things. So I think that was maybe a challenge just to get getting the bigger pieces of the puzzle moving because in the beginning, we're kind of in the weeds of things like just getting the Fellows Academy up and running. Yeah, I would say access to data. So we all have mm-hmm. access to the same information. That's something that, um, you know, it's, conti- it's improving. Other challenges might be, I mean, we're fortunate. I feel like we're, we're always doing our best to work as a team, but really having everyone um, on board, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's like the bigger level, like Renee said, an institutional level, program levels and department level. And then I'll come in and I, I on a course level, or as a coordinator, really meshing those ideas. And we've been so fortunate to have a great, a great team that's, uh, that listens to each other's ideas. So I think uh, it's, you know, the positives and negatives are, are there. Absolutely. Have there been any significant lessons that you have learned? You know, I think in that this is kind of twofold, right? So like as individuals and professionals, like are there ways that this work has impacted your personal practice? And then as a collective group, like how has, has the team sort of continued to grow and evolve through this process? Well, I think in terms of inclusivity, the more the dialogue that's expanded around, I mean, this, these words didn't exist really when I was mm. an undergrad, uh, equity, inclusivity, especially as a female minority in STEM, it, it wasn't even, and, and feeling marginalized, that wasn't even a, a something to put put into words. Right. But I think having these discussions among faculty, we do, even as a le- in a leadership role, feel more included. We do feel part of a solution, right? And so that mm-hmm. does translate into our individual styles of, of teaching and bringing our sense of community to our students. I, I feel absolutely just a level of cohesion among faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel more connected to my students because I know that we're all working together to address an issue. I actually have an example of the way that kind of thinking more about inclusivity, inclusive classrooms, um, and what I can do better as an instructor to make sure that my students feel supported. Um, all the things that are coming up during you know the work on these grants, a way that it sort of manifested for me in the classroom yesterday. I think Mercy is one of the few educational institutions in the Northeast that has classes on um, Indigenous Peoples Day. And um, I think a lot of our students forgot about that. And some of our students also had childcare commitments on that day because schools were closed. So I had one student show up to my class last night of six or seven students that should have been there. So I was, you know, feeling kind of bummed about that. And oh, how, you know, what, what's going on? Like, why aren't these students coming to class? But I immediately reminded myself to kind of put the onus on me. And at the beginning of um, the semester, I have students go through sort of a contract that we make together on what our class is going to look like, what are our responsibilities as students, as the instructor. Um, And so last night I sent them an email about recommitting to the class and asking them, you know, what can you do to improve and how do you need support in that? And what can I do as your instructor to improve? And, you know, what is the feedback that you have for the class so far? So I think like one aspect of this is just like, taking that accountability and trying to understand the different perspectives that the students are coming from and what our role and responsibility is as instructors. So that's one thing that's sort of changed for me around, you know, bringing this language and this focus into my work. 
Absolutely. I love that in terms of really co-constructing the space and setting a culture and a tone where folks are empowered and encouraged to to be vocal and, and that their their opinions matter. Those are the kinds of things that we take for granted in, in sort of building these institutional capacities, thinking about it, the skills and competencies that faculty need in order to think about this stuff in real time. So thank you for sharing that example. Renee, I didn't know if you had anything to add. Yeah, I think the, the work has been empowering and um, right. It, it makes you see your role differently. Um, you know, I felt probably in prior initiatives more isolated. But the fact that this grant is centered on transformation, institutional change, it sort of compels you to branch out maybe of your silo and, um, you know, the realization that you, you, that's exactly what needs to happen for institutional change to occur. I'm glad you said that. Is this thinking about institutional transformation, right? And the, in the arc of change, you know, transformation is not something that always has a finite ending. And when we think of inclusive excellence, it's not necessarily a destination, but more so sort of like a stance that we, have to embody and maintain. So as we think about this work over time, I'm curious to know if there are things that sort of keep you connected, keep you engaged when it gets to be to be challenging or tough or when, you know, it's it feels slow and laborious because I don't know that, you know, we really recognize going in that, you know, as the literature says, sometimes it can take up to 10 years before you start to see a shift in culture. Um, when we start working on these sort of institutional change efforts. And so we're curious to learn, are there things that you do or think about to sort of keep you connected to the work? I think um, kind of reflecting before, and I know you also asked about teamwork. I think, you know, I think we're a good support system for one another. So we have the broader core leadership group and Sarah really, we brought her on for her uh, expertise and and qualitative data analyses. So we'll be working more closely with Sarah. Lisa and I have been working together on this for a little over a year. And so we really just check in constantly for sort of mini support sessions. Um, We have almost our weekly (laughs) to-do list that we build together and, um, um, you know, kind of keep each other in check and and that support. So I think um, just building a support network what can I do to help what what can the others do to help you kind of move forward uh, in the moment move forward and I think mm-hmm. that creates a shared vision right like mm-hmm. that that act in itself that shared vision um, for our students for our student body it does transform you it does change you there's this goal or that shared interest that you have and 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 it's infectious actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so infectious. We've had um, amazing speakers, um, wonderful seminars. We um, days of seminars in the summer, and it just it pulls you in, and it is such a personal as well as a professional journey. So I don't, I cannot think of one instance where you know, yes, this is our profession, it's our jobs, but I think everyone has such a personal interest in transforming this space for our students, for ourselves. Awesome. 
Thank you guys for sharing. It's been really a treat to, to learn about, you know, not just the things that you're doing, but what are the things that are motivating and um, connecting you all to this work, the things that are challenging you and the, and the lessons that you're learning. And so it's really important to sort of complement the narrative about this work and give folks insight into this behind the scenes stuff as well. So thank you all for sharing. Um, I'm curious if you had to describe your experience of the inclusive excellence work in one word, what would that word be? My word would be community. Um, I think that before uh, starting in on these HHMI grants and, and just the inclusion work in general at Mercy, um, I did feel very siloed. I teach, uh, we have three campuses and I teach at one of them where there aren't a lot of other full-time faculty members. So most of my interactions are with students, which is excellent because that keeps me grounded uh, with them. But I, I didn't really feel a lot of community beforehand with other faculty and with administration. I felt like I was kind of, you know, out on my own and um, doing this work and also um, COVID bringing us all on Zoom all the time. Yeah. So I can join from any campus um, has really uh, just helped me feel more a part of the Mercy community. And also, I just feel like I am building um, the community that I that I hope to see at Mercy, like, as you're saying, over the next 10 years, you know, what's what do we want this school to look yeah. like? Awesome. Thank you. I would think by word, I said it before, transformative. And just mm -hmm. to kind of take a tidbit of what Sarah said, building the, building the community that I wish I had. Mm -hmm. um, building the community that I wish I had access to um, in the, you know, uh, when I was an undergrad. And transformative, like I said before, professionally for my students, creating an atmosphere where they are going to thrive succeed but professionally where I feel like I am um, doing the best that I can uh, for them and then personally it is, it is a very reflective personally process before you even get to those goals right you have to it's, sure. a, it's a personally transformative experience in order for those professional you know benchmarks to be met great so I have to follow those <laughs> two great <laughs> words um, let's see I would describe my experience with the HHMI Inclusive Excellence work as illuminating. Mm. Um, illuminating because for me, this has really sort of been an exploration um, in, in the organization of Mercy College and that everybody plays a role. Every entity plays a role in equity and inclusion work. And um, I think this work ultimately is really going to il illuminate how we can coordinate those roles. Um, uh, you know, just within our, within our own work, I think some of the, the, the lessons learned, for example, is Sarah should have been brought on much earlier as a social scientist, you know? <laughs> um, and so we are really starting to, I think, understand the, the pieces that need to, to be put together and, and, um, Hopefully, we can illuminate other aspects of mercy and how we can sort of bridge these equity gaps. I love that because um, I think the literature around institutional transformation and one of the key tenets of our work as the Inclusive Excellence Commission is that this work of transformation is directly tied to learning. And, you know, that posture that you have of being, you know, open and curious and just learning about the environment and, and and using that knowledge and insight to sort of inform your your perspective and your practice going forward 
really speaks to the change work that's happening there in real time. And I didn't share this earlier, but you know, Mercy sort of holds a personal place in, in my in my heart. I'm originally from New York and grew up in the Westchester area. And uh, after my first master's degree, like after I came out of grad school, I worked at Mercy in the College Opportunity Programs Department. I was there working with the C-STEP program. And so I understand that Mercy is an interesting place, as Sarah alluded to, in, in that there are many campuses and sort of cultivating a shared vision and this sense of community and cohesion that you all are talking about there is special given the nature of the campus and how it's set up. And so it's been a special treat to chat with you all and learn about uh, how Mercy is evolving and growing. So as we close out, is there any advice that you would give to some person who's thinking about uh, taking on a transformation project or thinking about institutional capacity building on their campus? What advice would you give that person? Um, Make connections. (laughs) Make make connections with other folks on campus. Uh, See who your allies are. Don't try to do it alone. (laughs) Um, Mm. And, um, you know, get, uh, make sure you're doing it at multi-levels. Speaking with administration, speaking with students. Um, It's, their lives are the ones that are, you know, that we're trying to change in this process. And so having their feedback is really, really just central to it. Absolutely. Lisa, you were gonna- I was just saying like have, uh, picking or uh, a good, and the word good, a team, you know, being part of a good team, being part of a community, building a community starts with the community that, that you're in to begin with, right? So we're trying to build a sense of community uh, with our students, but us as faculty also have to be mindful of the community that we have amongst ourselves in order for that to um, effectively reach our students. I think I could add uh, to both of those great comments to view yourself as a a change agent. I I think that we tend to not necessarily view ourselves that way as as faculty members. You know, we are quite busy (laughs) with all of our little daily tasks. And as part of that change, I I think I would have, I sort of alluded to this before, but almost... um, would have started off with a better organizational landscape. Mm, say more yeah. about that. <laughs> more about the organizational <laughs> landscape. Um, that implies sort of understanding better the roles of each of the, the stakeholders mm. in, this, in this process, because I think my understanding um, wasn't quite broad enough or nuanced enough. And so I would have started there. Um, mm. I would have had more belief in myself and in, in, in being someone who could sort of take on that, that work. And, you know, sometimes there might be a hesitation to kind of step in, right, to these structures that are already in place, right? And so that's a great thing about this grant is that you are basically, that's your charge as part of this grant. And so as I mentioned before, the, the process of being empowered, but I, I would, yeah, as I said, probably start start there sooner. <laughs> That's awesome. And thank you so much for that honesty. I just want to, again, reiterate that it has been really a special treat for me to, to, to chat with you all this morning and to learn more about what you're doing. Thank you for your contribution to the Excellence Experiment podcast and for all of the amazing 
uh, change work that you're doing there at Mercy. Thank you for your time and thank you all for listening.